I want to bring your attention really quickly in the book of Exodus. Uh, after I knew Rayshon was, was planning to come this morning, I decided to just go this route and, and do like an exhortation type thing. So, so we, we won't be here long. Um, somebody asked me, what does that mean? I told them, well, as the spirit flies. Uh, you know, but we, <laughs> however long that takes. But, 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 but we don't, we, I don't plan to be long this morning. I just want to share something from a text that is so familiar to us. But, but sometimes it's so easy for us to miss. Uh, and that's, that's the, the detriment or the downside of knowing a text so well that sometimes it's easy for us to miss some of the beauty and the value that's actually still very present in that text. Um, back home in the Caribbean, we have this, this dish, we call it pilau. Um, not unlike pilaf, but pilau. It's, it's this uh, rice dish with peas and beans and good seasonings. I mean, lots of good seasoning in there and, and, and different types of meat. And, and you would... You would eat pilau on the day that you make it. I mean, it just comes off the stove and you would sit down and you would have pilau and you would love it. But, but you go back on day number two and the pilau tastes much better than when it first got off the stove out of the pot. And believe it or not, you stick that pilau in day, day number two back in, in the refrigerator and by day number four, five, and six, if there still is pilau, I mean, even, even the stuff in the bottom of the, the, the pot, we call that back home bun-bun. Say bun-bun. You're, you're speaking Caribbean. Bun-bun. The stuff, the stuff in the bottom of the pot, even the bun-bun, tastes good. And so sometimes we could become so familiar with a text that we miss a lot of the good meat that is still very much present in it. I want to bring your attention almost immediately into the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. And follow me in verses number 1 and 2. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year unto you. Let me repeat verse number 2. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year unto you. If you don't mind, I want to share a quick and a brief thought with you from the subject I've entitled, When God Gives You a Fresh Start. When God Gives You a Fresh Start. If we're honest enough with ourselves, we'd recognize that there are times in our lives when we feel like we just need to start afresh. And if you're lucky enough, if you're, if you're lucky enough, many a times we, we get to choose how that start actually takes place. It might be a, a young man who is smack dab in the middle of his degree or the degree he thought he wanted to participate in, only to realize that two and a half years in, it's not really something or a part that he or she really loves. And so in the smack middle of their study, they decide to change from one major to one next. That's a fresh start. 
It might mean that you have a young man or woman or male or female, let's not just put any age to it, but a male or, or female person in a particular career, career path and they've been in this career for a number of years and, and maybe at one point they thought this is where they wanted to be. Maybe at one point when they actually got into this career, it was by necessity. They, they needed a job. They needed something to sustain themselves and their family. And so when they got into this career path, it made sense. But somewhere along the line, they determined that this is no longer what I want to do. And, and so they, they decide, well, I want to move away from being an assistant. I want to move away from working in administration. And I want to go into nursing. That's, that's a fresh start. I'm just saying many of us are blessed to, to recognize the changes of the time and the age that we are in to choose something different and start afresh. Or maybe you've, you've, you've known somebody like this. This might be you. You've, you've lived and dwelled in a place, in, in a state, in a town, in a home all your life. But at this particular point in time, all your friends and your family and those who you grew up with, they have long since moved on or they are no longer with you. And, and you determine I don't think I want to be in this place or this space anymore. So I'm going to take myself up. I've, I've known Nashville all my life, and I'm going to move to Michigan. Or oh, I'm going to move to New York. I'm, I'm going to move to Buffalo. I'm, I'm going to move. I, I don't know. I'm going to move to Phoenix. I, I, the, the point is I'm, I'm just going to get out of this place and go somewhere new. That for us is a fresh start. If we're blessed and lucky enough, we get to choose many times when that fresh start takes place. But sometimes a fresh start is forced upon us by life circumstances and situations. Two Sundays ago, I think I mentioned this last week and I may not have mentioned it loud enough, but two Sundays ago, a young couple only married not too long, had their house, their dwelling place burnt to the ground. And after a week of looking around and trying to pull things together and try to figure out what the next move would be, they finally found a home or a place to dwell for the foreseeable near future. They were forced into a fresh start. They, they already started afresh in a new walk of life, having been recently married. That was a fresh start of choice, but now they are forced to start afresh once more because their dwelling place would have burned all the way down to the ground. You, you see what I mean? That sometimes life circumstance will force you to start afresh. Two Sundays ago, or at least two weekends ago, a brother and his friends and some other individuals were traveling along the roadway and, and got into a serious car wreck to the degree that two weeks now he has been battling for his life in, in and out of the ICU. And the family has to, to deal with that, but Lord, and we pray that God will bring him back to a certain level of health and strength, but but even after he comes out of that, even after he recovers, that's going to be him starting afresh and starting anew once more. Because you know what happens, right? If you stay in your bed unable to move, 
your hands and your feet in as much as you are not paralyzed if you stay laid down long enough unable to move and to exercise your limbs and your muscles and so forth you have to now train your entire being to walk by itself to move your hand and to just operate in a way that you would have been accustomed to prior it's a fresh start for that person sometimes life has a way of forcing us into fresh starts let me give you one more real life these are real life this is not me making up some some fictitious story to to kind of embellish the the exhortation this is real life these are people that you and i would know let me give you one more clear example of how life forces you into a fresh start a few days ago i i received a text from a young lady she's she's younger than i am Married no more than seven or so years. And I receive a, a text from her saying that she just received a call that the divorce that she was going through at that time had finally gone through and is finalized. So you've lived your life for five plus years married to an individual your life was wrapped up in this marriage wrapped up in this person you changed everything about yourself your focus was on family they they have a, a little boy and and so your focus was on your family your your focus was on your spouse your focus was everything about my career and everything about who i am i i do it because i want to invest into to this and and now she, she is forced to live from, from then on out. She is now forced to live in a way that she was not living five plus years prior. So she is forced now to walk and start navigating life, but she has to start anew. If I'm not being too heavy, let me give you one more, one more example. Some months ago, and this, is, this could be anybody, but are, we have had several people like this here, but some months ago, a sister who has been married for over 25 years lost the love of her life. I, I don't know about you, but could you fathom? I'm, you know, we, we think about uh, Brother Charlie and Sister Helen being married for 60 years. You know how much tradition you have had with that person for 60 years? You know how many memories you have forged, both good and not so good, for 60 years? You know how much emotion you have poured in, how much energy, time, not to mention money and effort. You know how much of that has gone in to, to the spouses and to family members and to friends and you, you know how much of that has gone into this for 60 years? This sister had been married for well over 25 years to, to the love of her life. And eventually the love of, of her life passed away. They were able to raise kids together. They were able to see grandbabies born into this world. They were able to love on each other for an extended period of time. Everything about their lives were about living life together hand in hand with one another. 
And then not through freak accident, not through anything like that, but the husband passes away. What do you do with that? She is now forced to live afresh and live anew. As I think about those things, I'm mindful of the fact that in our text, it picks up at a point in Israelite history where they've already made 400 years in Egyptian bondage and slavery. Their lives were already hard. If you pick up early on in the context in the book of Exodus, we recognize that at this particular point in time, Joseph, the one who was responsible for uh, that Jewish family making their way into Egypt and dwelling in the area of Goshen, Joseph is no longer living in this earth. Many, many years have passed. Joseph and his siblings, that entire generation has died out. And as a result, here, here comes an Egyptian pharaoh that is raised to the throne. The scripture says, who knew not Joseph? What's interesting about that was, was you, 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 there's a sense of which Egyptians, anybody in antiquity, had a good way of recording their own history. Within the annals of Egyptian culture and history, they would have recorded this man who was responsible in Egyptian history, standing only second in command to Pharaoh, him, to Pharaoh himself, in helping aid and abet and helping the productivity of Egypt and the world at a time where the world was destitute and the world was in need. That Joseph. So I'm saying when you look at that statement, it, it had more to do, uh, you know, not just with the fact that, well, he didn't really know about Joseph. You, you have to read a little bit deeper to understand that there was something going on from the standpoint of maybe they, they even took out Joseph's name. From their current record books, it, it may have run as deep as that, but the point is it said that there rose a pharaoh who had no type of knowledge whatsoever about Joseph. And as a result, he looked upon the Israelites who had grown in number and he feared them enough to say, listen, these people have the strength, these people have the might, these people have the numbers to overthrow us. This place called Egypt could become theirs if they are so inclined to do so. So he said, let's subjugate them. Let's put them in a position to where that could never happen. And that starts the beginning 400 years eventually of Egyptian slavery and bondage. But for 400 years, these people have been praying for a deliverer. I want you to see this. For many of us living in this daytime and age, if we were to pray a constant prayer for two years, we think that's two years too much. God isn't hearing our prayer. For many of us, it's in, we, we, we can't fathom praying a prayer for, of deliverance for 10 years. A whole decade I've been praying for God to deliver, deliver me and this deliverance is not coming. Is God hearing my prayer? Think about praying a prayer for 40 years and you think, well, if it's been 40 years long, then surely God is not hearing my prayer. Is God even present? Well, this is 400 years. This is not four days. This is not four weeks. This is not four months. This is not 40 years. This is 400 years of praying the same prayer of deliverance. And as we think about this, I just have three things I want to show us from this text. I'm just going to list these things. I'm going to say this, and hopefully this exhortation would be a blessing to every single person that's here. But I want us to see that there are three things within the confines of this text. And I know you don't see it, but let me share it with you. There are three things within the confines of this text that God teaches us right here. Right here 
in verses 1 and 2. Number one, I want us to see that God understands and knows what you are going through. Repeat after me. God knows. Say it like you know it. God knows. Number one, God knows what you're going through. For 400 years, these people were crying. Generations came and generations left. For 400 years, these people were crying and pleading to God for deliverance. You don't think God knew what they were going through? If you follow the context of the text, even as you, you go back in, uh, into the earlier chapters of chapter 3 and chapter 4, when God calls Moses uh, within the confines of the space of the burning bush, remember this, God told Moses, listen, I have come because I have heard the cries and I know the affliction of my people. I know and that's why I have called. I know and that's why I have come. Church, God knows your and my affliction. But the devil sometimes wants us to think that as we cry to God and as we plead to God, as we pray to God, we are so hurried to get a response right now that we think that a delayed response ultimately means a denied request. But we need to understand that God knows what we are going through. Say God knows. Number two, not only does God know what we're going through, but I need for us to appreciate this right here. God knows what you and I need. The curse that comes with being a human being and not God is that you and I don't even know what, we what is truly good for us at times. We feel like if we know what's best for us, but the truth is if we're, if, 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 if we're honest and open with ourselves, sometimes the things that we deem are best for us, the things that we feel like we need, ultimately God shows us, no, that wasn't what was best for you, and that's ultimately not what you need. Could I give you a real practical example? Real, real, real practical example. I love cake. If enough time goes by, and I don't have cake, I feel like I need to have it. I need it. I need cake to survive. Let, 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 me, let me make it a little bit more practical. I, I know some students in school, young, 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 young boys and girls. They're, they're, they're not even in, into their twen true 20s yet. Is that a timesheet? Thank you. He, he, <laughs> He's doing the thing that, pre that you know, preachers used to get long time when they're preaching too long. You get five more minutes, five more minutes. Thank you, William. Five more minutes, five more minutes. But, but, but here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. They, we have these young boys and girls that, oh, they can't make it, make it through the day without five cups of coffee. It's, it's because they think that that's what they need. There are things in life that we feel like we need, and if we, 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 we don't have it, then we can't function appropriately and God has to teach us no 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 you you think that's what you need you you think you need sleeping pills all the time to put you to sleep but what you need to do is to to distance yourself from this relationship that is giving you stress it's not the pills the pills just helps you fall asleep but if you take the pills away you have a bigger problem it's not the pills it's the stress that's in your life we take a lot of pills for a lot of things, but if we peel, if, if we're honest, let's, let's be honest with, with God and shame the devil. If we're honest with ourselves, the, the, the pills is not the answer. The answer runs a little bit deeper than just something we pop in to our mouths that goes down into our stomachs and through our systems. 
That's the difference. That's why people fall into substance abuse and all these kind of things because they think that that's what they need to make it through. When God is saying, no, 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 I, I want you to understand that I, I, I know you need deliverance and maybe the way that you want to go about getting deliverance is by means of violence. But I want you to understand that I not only know what you're going through, but I know what you need. Which brings me to the third point that I want us to see that, number one, not only does God know what we're going through, number two, not only does God know what we need, but number three, and this is where the rubber meets the road, God knows how to go about delivering us. If you gave the Israelites the option of freeing their own selves, they would have killed every last Egyptian to the last person. If you gave these people the opportunity to grasp their own freedom and gain their own deliverance, there would have been a lot more bloodshed by their hands than what God had to do on this particular day. Because on this particular day in our text, and I know we, we, we didn't read it, but it's right there in the text, God is going to institute what is considered to be the Passover. This was going to be the initiation or the precursor to what would be the 10th plague. Well, what's the 10th plague, Brother Morgan? I'm glad you asked. The 10th plague was the sending of the angel of death. And if when the angel of death was passing through the, the streets and, and, and passing through the city, if when the angel of death came to a house and there was not blood on the doorpost and over the lintel, the death angel will go into that home and snatch the life of the firstborn. So God was getting ready to, institute, to offer the 10th plague, but notice it, it was also indicative of what God does in freeing his people. For every freedom that is offered to mankind, every single type of freedom involves the shedding of blood. But there is no freedom that's greater than the freedom from sin. So God is showing right there in Exodus chapter number 12. I want you guys to stay your hand. I know what you're going through. I know what you need. But I also know how to deliver you. You hold off from violence and allow me to be the one that fights on your behalf. You don't take your deliverance into your own hands, but allow me to do it. But what I want you to do is to participate in my strategy of deliverance. So find a calf, kill it. If it's too big for your family, adjoin to the family next door. You guys get together, you kill it, you take the blood, you strike it on the doorpost and on the lintels. And if there's anything left before morning, I want you to burn it up because nothing of this sacrifice needs to remain the next day. What are you saying? I am going to be your deliverer. How I deliver is up to me, but you still need to participate in this deliverance. It's a precursor to what God was intending to do in the person of Jesus Christ. God knows the, the biggest form of, 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 of slavery is not just one human being under the subjection of another. That's one form of slavery. But the ultimate form of slavery is when you and I, no matter what color, no matter what creed, no matter what race, we find ourselves in the bondage of sin. You and I can't do anything about that but for the person of Jesus Christ. So God says, I'm going to give you a fresh start. Could I, could I say this as I, I get ready to close? Could I say this? God is intending to give you and I a fresh start, but you don't have to wait until January 1st to have a fresh start. 
They were smack dab in the middle somewhere of the Egyptian calendar. And God looks at them and he says, listen, as you partake of this meal, I want you to understand that this day, this month is going to be the beginning of months for you. Whatever day it is right now, today could be a new year for you. You could start your New Year's celebration before January 1st if you understand that God is trying to transform you and he's trying to turn you and put you in a place, in a position that was different than where you currently are. Today could be a fresh start for you in your anger management. Today could be a fresh start for you in your frustrations. Today could be a fresh start for you in your trespasses and your sins. Today could be a fresh start for you in your marriage. Today could be a fresh start for you in your depression. Today could be a fresh start for you in your frustration. Today could be a fresh start. But are you willing to partner with me in my plan to save you and all mankind from the slavery and the bondage that we find ourselves in. Would you stand with me? I'm done. And just repeat after me. God knows what I'm going through. God knows what I need. And finally, God knows how to deliver.